but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've, I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hello everybody, welcome back to the Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. This could be our third to last episode of the season. Mm-hmm. Possibly. If second to last is penultimate, is there a word for third to last? I don't have that word in my vocabulary. Maybe it exists. Like almost ultimate? Anyway, we're close. It is mid-November. The season is still chugging along. Literally mid-November. It's November 15th. The Ides. This episode, we're going to cover an array of items some brimming with levity others not so much we're gonna open the show with news of our about to be launched second gofundme we're putting the final touches on that and then we're gonna segue into some serious news coming out of the the wta or having to do with a wta player peng shui and everything that's been going on in the last couple of weeks. We've been keeping a close eye on it, and there's been movement in the last couple of days. And uh, at the end, after going through all the tennis that's kind of all over the place right now, tournament starting in on Wednesday, as was the case in Guadalajara, uh, the WTN ATP finals overlapping, catching up on some of the tournaments that we didn't quite wrap, we're going to end with something we've never done on this show before. And that's thanks entirely to Caitlin and her suggestion. Thank you, Caitlin. Your package arrived in the mail. We will be live tasting for the first time chicken bones. Yes, which we'll get into that later, but it's not literally chicken bones. It's apparently a very divisive sweet, a treat coming out of New Brunswick that folks have a lot of opinions on. So we were tasked with, you know, (laughs) seeing how it, it... it shapes up for us. So we shall see. First and foremost, this is uh, what you could consider kind of a soft launch of our second ever GoFundMe. Mm-hmm. We ran one at the end of 2019 when we were all very innocent and naive and were thinking we're going to go to a bunch of tournaments this year and have an amazing year in 2020. And those plans were sidelined. I don't know about innocent. But definitely naive. While most of us were stuck at home trying to figure out things to do in that kind of initial period of quarantine, we had fun with formats. We tried to keep the content coming as as much as possible. We are far more prolific then than we have been in the past few months. Mm -hmm. That's mostly my fault. But uh, with the second GoFundMe, this is kind of uh, a way to help us keep the show going, hopefully help us take some trips in the new year, in 2022, two years after we were uh, expecting to take these trips. Also, as the pandemic has shown us, just to help with general living. (laughs) You know, like, we're not going to make promises as to what we will do to the T, to the cent, with what this, with the money we we hopefully get from the GoFundMe. We think of it as a simple contract between us and our listeners. If you enjoy the show, if you're able to, if you feel we deserve it, contribute. And if not, that's fine too. And we've looked into the different funding models, the uh, Patreons, the Kickstarters, all these things. We feel that this works best for us because we don't really have interest in locking down content, in separating content into tiers We want the podcast to be available to everyone, and this is just kind of a way to help us continue to do that. And let's be honest here, in full disclosure, we don't have any interest in ramping up our output to the extent that some other formats would require. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we're, we're confident in the product that we produce, and we hope that that speaks for itself. We do plan to maybe dabble in some different things, but not just create more volume of tbs just because do you know what i mean yeah that said last time we did the gofundme we had some uh, rewards awards we sent out a bunch of stuff in the mail we are finalizing 
what that's going to look like this time. Previously, if you donated $50 and above, you received a TBS postcard, handwritten by both of us. And we're going to do that again. We've already printed the postcards. They're vertical instead of horizontal this time. And they've See, got... we're <laughs> experimenting with formats already. We're going in heavy on the, I just don't have the bandwidth imagery on this um, on this GoFundMe go around. We've had a generous donation of time from our pal Tom Humberstone, who's done so many of our designs over the years. He has offered five prizes. And if you win them, don't know how that will work, but if you win them, you'll be able to ask Tom to illustrate your fave. If you are a Venus Williams fan, you win this award, you say, hey, Tom, draw me Venus, and he'll send you a high-res digital image of Venus Williams. So this is made to order uh, in the art world. You know, it's called commissioned. Oh. From uh, our talented pal, Tom, who's responsible for all of the design that you see across our platforms. Yeah. So as of right now, you donate 50 and above, you will get the postcard. You'll also get a bookmark and then or bigger reward packages. We've been ordering some of the stuff from our Redbubble website and also some privately unavailable stuff. There may be, I don't have the bandwidth, koozies. <laughs> and they'll be I feel like that is strictly an American thing. <laughs> uh for those of you in other parts of the world, that is one of those things that you put around a beer bottle or yeah. a beer can to keep it cold. Those foam things. Yeah. So as of right now, the grand prizes of which we haven't decided if there's going to be say 5 or 10 or 15 and at what tier, the big prizes are going to be a just a bunch of swag. A bunch of TBS swag. You'll get a zipper pouch. You'll get TBS button pins. These button pins, I'm so pleased with how they look. They look... Button. What is a button pin? You mean like a button? A button. Or a pin. Or a pin. But not... They're called not both. each in different places. <laughs> <laughs> so, as long as you get the picture. Mm -hmm. Those look great. There's also stickers, magnets. You'll get the postcard. You'll get the bookmark, the koozie, and you know maybe a couple other. We don't know. We're, we're putting the finishing touches on that. So look out for that in the next couple days. And uh, let's get into it. We're going to start with some distressing news. As you may have heard from Twitter and recently some larger media outlets, Peng Shui, the former doubles number one from China, posted something on Weibo a few weeks ago, and it was swiftly removed. She alleged that she had been sexually assaulted by the ex-vice premier of China, Zhang Gaoli, who is 40 years older than she is. She said that they had a years-long relationship. Intermittent. And then she alleges that in 2017, he invited her to his home to play tennis with him and his wife, and there he sexually assaulted her. It was a, a long, very brave post that disappeared within a half hour. All traces of it disappeared. In it, she said, quote, Like an egg hitting a rock or a moth to a flame, courting self-destruction, I'll tell the truth about you. So knowing full well the, the real danger of posting something like this against an extremely powerful ex-vice premier and someone close to the premier of China... Peng did this anyway. And so over the past few weeks, it's kind of been radio silence. It seems like nobody in the tennis world knew where she is. Uh, a group of Chinese feminists posted uh, this projection that said, where is Peng Shui? And this hashtag has gotten very popular on Twitter over the past day or so. Only recently have players started to tweet about it. Alizé Cornet was one of the first. Chris Evert, Tara Moore... Liam Brody and Nico Mau were the first men that I saw tweeting about this. Billie Jean King tweeted about it today, I believe. You know, the original post came and went so quickly that if you didn't notice it, it was easy to miss. But luckily, there were a lot of Chinese women who were willing to keep this front and center in a, in a climate that is incredibly repressive and indeed dangerous. Mm -hmm. One of the things that was... 
so unclear over the last week or so was whether Pung was missing or in hiding. We, you know, we haven't heard anything from her directly. Both, both alarming. Either right. one alarming. But yesterday, the CEO of the WTA, Steve Simon, issued an official statement calling for a full and transparent investigation. By the Chinese government. And in a follow-up piece from the New York Times, Simon indicated that he had gotten confirmation that she is safe. Now, he didn't seem to know exactly where she is. He thinks she's in Beijing. Or we don't know where that confirmation came from either. Right. Through this whole thing, I was hoping and thinking that she wasn't missing, but that she was being protected somewhere. Now, fans had been calling for the tennis organizations to speak out on this, and thankfully they finally did yesterday, about two weeks after the initial post. What's unclear is what the WTA and other sporting bodies can and should do about things like this against a a government that other governments have failed to make any impact on, the NBA has failed. What can the WTA do? Mm -hmm. What is its leverage? This is not a new dilemma for the WTA. Once they went into business with China and created this Asian swing and took those Chinese dollars to prop up its organization, the, th- the threat of something like this happening was always in the cards. In 2019, Tamani Karyl wrote about this in The Guardian, and I'll quote from him because he says it better than I could. He said, quote, Taking the big money from a country with an authoritarian government will always come at a cost, and presenting its business decision in terms of empowerment is unreasonable as long as Hong Kong burns next door and Muslims are being sent to re-education camps on the other side of the country. He goes on to say, The WTA has unwittingly landed in the middle of the biggest sports politics story of the year, but that was its choice. More stories like this one will unfold over the next weeks, months, and years. Questions will be asked of where the WTA stands and how much its money means to it. The organization will be judged accordingly. Prescient. Right. And we saw recently with the NBA, Ennis Cantor openly criticized the Chinese government. And what happened? NBA was wiped from the airwaves in China. It's unclear like how much large sport organizations like the NBA has to leverage here. And, I mean, compared to the NBA, the WTA has what power? They have their product. Mm-hmm. The bottom line, it's a, it's a matter it. of whether, <laughs> it's not about that's it, but that is not nothing. It's about whether you're willing to sacrifice the financial considerations, getting right. into prolonged legal battles for breaking contracts, etc. Steve Simon went on to say in that follow-up piece in the New York Times that, quote, if at the end of the day, we don't see the appropriate results from this, we would be prepared to take that step and not operate our business in China if that's what it came to. That origin- that piece that I just read from, from Tamani Cario in 2019, was written around the time that the WTA Finals in Shenzhen was awarding the biggest prize money in all of tennis history, men or women. Although the tournament was canceled last year and relocated this year to Mexico, there is still a 10-year contract in place. It awards $14 million in prize money each year. The WTA has 11 tournaments in China. According to that piece by Tamani Carroll, it's what, a a third of its overall business is in China? So it's a lot. It's a lot of money, right? But the bottom line here is, as a sports organization, as a sports organization that champions women, that was founded the way it was in the early 70s by Billie Jean King and the original nine, you cannot be operating in 2021 as a leading international women's professional sporting organization whereby your players are the richest female athletes in the world routinely every year and then have one of your players not only be sexually assaulted but then potentially face these kinds of retaliations and not say anything about it 
that's untenable. Right. There has to be some serious consequence and strong action on your part. That is to say, doing as much as you possibly can. We realize you are not a government. You can't operate on a government-to-government level. That is to say, actual major governments haven't been able to move the needle and, and be able to hold China accountable for human rights abuses. Yeah, I mean, when you operate a sport on this large a scale, this brings up the question, of, do you remove events from other countries whose actions you find objectionable? Like, this is an acute situation that includes a historic figure in Asian tennis, the first Chinese number one. Clearly, this is a serious, time-sensitive problem. But going forward, do you remove your events from one country and continue to do business with others? Like, it's such a complicated process here. Because from the Chinese government's perspective, one of their reasons for getting into business with the WTA is for PR. Mm -hmm. I mean, you are a major sponsor of one of the biggest, of the biggest women's sporting league in the world. It's sport washing. It's something we've seen throughout the decades, throughout time, whereby problematic governments and regimes use sport as a means of whitewashing the ills that are going Mm -hmm. on within their country and their regimes. And the U.S. has done it and continues to do so. Just so you don't think we are uh, strictly pro-American and anti-Eastern. Like The U.S. sport military industrial complex, yeah. whereby the national anthem is played at pretty much every major sporting event. Why is that? Mm. Propaganda. Where sports representation has been used to cover over the many inequalities present in U.S. society. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, we are really hoping that Peng Shui is safe, that she's, if necessary, being sheltered somewhere for now. And we are glad that this story did not just go away, that it just wasn't a whisper story. It's becoming front and center in major news organizations and on social media all over the world. All right, on to some of the recent tournaments since we last recorded. The last episode came out in the middle of the Paris Masters. Novak Djokovic winning is such a huge statement. Okay. After losing the U.S. Open, losing his calendar year Grand Slam. I've seen this written. I don't think it's hyperbolic when you you don't achieve something so momentous and so difficult. It would be understandable to just either go away or you're talking about the calendar year grand slam yes yes and the the golden slam as well close to both right right close to both yeah you know when serena lost at the 2015 u.s open yes she reached the australian open and french open finals lost both of them people talked about the kind of the psychic trauma of having been so close to something and not getting it it would be understandable to be in this grieving period So I think it's incredibly important that Novak was able to square off against Medvedev, who's on a high, and beat him in a hardcourt final. He secures his record seventh year-end number one, surpassing Sampras. He'll be at 348 weeks at number one by the end of this season, with the next closest in his rearview mirror, Federer, at 310. I'm always surprised that Roger only has five year-end number ones, because that stretch of dominance for me felt like it lasted 20 years. <laughs> yes, but the, the unmitigated dominance was a shorter period than you mm-hmm. recall, though. It'd be from, what, 2005 to 2010-ish, right? Even, probably 04 to 08. And then, you know, Rafa beat him at Wimbledon, the Australian Open. Djokovic came roaring out of the gate in 08 and then had that dominant year in 2011 roger had like some intermittent periods of dominance after that as well mm-hmm. but i'm surprised i'm still surprised it's only five year and number ones sampras didn't have to deal with a, a three-headed goat situation right <laughs> but i mean 348 weeks at number one and that's not even counting the weeks where tennis wasn't happening during the quarantine those are That's not like, counted because I know, 
you know, people want to be mm. mad about that. That's almost, what, almost seven years at number one. He, he wins a 37th Masters 1000 title, also a record. What, we, we, what was important for me, though, at this tournament on the back of the U.S. Open was that we are seeing the emergence of an actual rivalry from somebody outside the big three or four with Andy Murray with one of them. And so you can, you can legitimately say that there's a rivalry now with Novak Djokovic and Daniel Medvedev. Yes, this is a kind of late career generations overlapping rivalry. This is a, what, um, Martina Navratilova, Steffi Graf type situation? Perhaps. I, I mean, Martina is someone who was able to continue making major finals well into her 30s, stay within the top three of the rankings when she was in at a very advanced age in the tennis world. It remains to be seen what kind of player Medvedev will be historically. Mm-hmm. But at the at the moment, he is close. He's not the best hardcore player, but he's pretty close. Yeah, it's not a perfect comparison. I don't want people right. to be showing up in their mentions. <laughs> and so and you like, think well, Daniel well, actually, is Steffi Graf? <laughs> no, it, it's squarely to do with the cross-generational mm-hmm. front-end, back-end of your career tussling that's going on. Had had Steffi played longer, it could have been a Steffi-Serena or a Steffi-Lindsay rivalry, mm-hmm. you know? We also had the first Fed Cup final as the rebranded Billie Jean King Cup. Yes, it's the inaugural edition. It's the 2020-21 to 21 Billie Jean King Cup finals. Mm-hmm. It, with a different format as well. Yeah, it sort of followed the overhaul of the davis cup format Mm -hmm. it swallowed me up whole what does that mean meaning i got completely lost i was (laughs) i was jonah in the belly of the whale (laughs) (laughs) wow some old testament references i struggled for any kind of historical import or present day import especially in the middle of this mad season that's still going on to be honest, similarly to Davis Cup, I'm struggling with the new format. Maybe after several years, it'll kind of start to gain the prestige and the import that Fed Cup and Davis Cup had. Maybe for some of you, it already does have that cachet, mm-hmm. and that's fair. Do you remember how many minutes, maybe even hours over the years, that we spent on talking about Davis Cup and Fed Cup and the changes that were being proposed and why they were good, why they were bad. And now you barely hear any talk about missing the old Davis Cup or Fed Cup atmosphere with the home and away ties. Fair, but I also feel, and this may also be because of the pandemic, I don't feel like it has a ton of news value anymore. I just compare to the previous incarnations. Of this event. Yes, I think that's what I'm getting at. I think it's, especially on the Fed Cup side, there I go, especially on Mm. the BJK Cup side, it's a clean break, almost a complete rebranding, a complete new tournament. Like you're going to have to rebuild that prestige from scratch because I don't think there's any carryover outside of what the players may value for themselves. And so the counter argument is that we have a lot of top players playing and those players put a lot of import in in the proceedings right mm-hmm. Bencic your gold medalist Pavlyuchenkova the Roland Garros runner-up this year big tennis superpowers are reaching the late stages of this tournament mm-hmm. but I found like over the past few months tournaments come and go so quickly I, I realize it's me, but... No, we you know, also get inundated with new tournaments popping up. Right. Next-gen finals came and went. The I didn't even realize it was over. The Transylvania tournament? It was like, oh, this is happening. This was great. <laughs> let's, make it a, uh, let's make it a Masters 1000 next year. Yeah. The BJK Cup came and went so quickly. All of a sudden, it was over. And people are trashing each other on Twitter, calling them cheaters. Mm-hmm. We had this makeshift west coast swing that we haven't had in the u.s in years Mm -hmm. giving us a taste of yesteryear and we're like well let's have this again and then now we're having this play out with peng shui and china and the fall swing in asia may be in jeopardy i don't know secondary to her safety absolutely 
But my point in saying this, there are so many moving parts and uncertainties precipitated by the pandemic with the schedule mm-hmm. that it's hard to put any real value of permanence to anything, to right. any tournament, let alone a tournament like what used to be the Fed Cup. Kudos to both tours for continuing to be agile, to innovate, to find new hosts for tournaments. You end to, up in Guadalajara and right. it's rocking. And within and it's rolling. What, like a, a few months they put together this WTA finals? Uh, the tournament pops up in Transylvania, Chicago, San Jose. I mean, it's great that you are giving these players a living, ranking points, all that. It uh, it just is a, hard to follow. Mm-hmm. Now let's get into the the drama controversy. You, you want the you drama. Say. You like the drama. Well, Russia the... and Switzerland in the final day of Billie Jean King Cup, two great tennis countries. Mm-hmm. Russia has an incredibly deep team. Well, I would say, say for three people, there's an imbalance. When you say great tennis countries, we're talking about Roger, Martina, now Bencic. No, but we have Bencic Golubic, who's had an incredible year. Yes, but I'm saying you're putting historical okay. tennis against each other here. The Russian wave came about in what the like early 2000s. 2002 2003 yeah. this is another wave and it's happening with the men as well yes right this mm-hmm. this is a great sporting country a, a great tennis country that's not allowed to use its own name the in RTF. international competition the RTF. <laughs> right so Pavlyuchenkova is scheduled to play Bencic on the final day about 15 minutes before the match she pulls out and they slot Samsonova in to play Bencic who happened to have a 2-0 career record against Benchich. Mm-hmm. But she also happens to be the Russian number four mm-hmm. player versus the number one, Pavlyuchenkova, or of the ones yeah. available. And being the much aggrieved person that Belinda Benchich is, it set off a fury of tweets? Yes. So on the Benchich side, the Swiss team believes there was some funny business going on, that the Russian team exploited a loophole that they never wanted Pavlyuchenkova to play Bencic. They wanted Samsonova to play her, but she wouldn't have been able to play her based on the rules mm-hmm. because she was the lower-ranked player. So they believe that they did this, they hoodwinked them and had Pavlyuchenkova pull out so late that it was too late to switch around the matchups. So Samsonova goes out and beats Bencic, and they blame the Russian team for being shady. But are you the Olympic gold medalist? The, uh, are right. you Belinda Benchich? The thing is, like, you could have beaten Samson. Are you a top 10 player? Are you a Rogers Cup champion? Are you a presumptive next best for many years now? Is she a Rogers Cup champion? She beat Serena, remember? That, that was year? in the semis. Yeah. Who do you think won that tournament? She did. Yeah, that was when people were like, Belinda has arrived. This is going to be... I'm sure I said on the podcast... I don't know when she first cracked the top 10, but I said it felt momentous in that this would be somewhere she would be for like a decade. Mm -hmm. She would not leave the top 10 for a decade. I'm pretty sure I said that. Well, that's definitely not something I would have said. Well, Uh, I mean, injury befell her, but it's not. mm -hmm. I mean, this is the talent of the woman, right? I was more diplomatic back then. Like before I knew. Actually, back then, I felt so guilty and ashamed of not taking to her because she was such like a niche tennis player people absolutely adored her their their love for belinda was like on hipster level right listen like if you liked if you liked pure tennis or whatever you had to like her and i never liked all you have to be is white and european to occupy these niche tennis hipster spaces (laughs) eventually one of them will hit and then you get to be like the chairman of the fan fan club. Mm. Anyway, on the other side, Pavlyuchenkova said that she had been feeling her knee the day before. She really wanted to come out and compete. Earlier that day, she felt like she could. And then during the warm-up, it was clear that she was impaired. Mm-hmm. We will never know exactly what happened. Was a loophole exploited in an underhanded way? I don't know. That never happens in tennis. Never. 
The WTA final group stage is almost over. There's one match left. Iga Swiatek got her win. So they're, well, in that group, there are no winless players. In the other group, Barbara Krejcikova did not win a match at this finals. The the week kicked off. It started midweek. So it's, what day is today? Today is Monday. It started, tournament started last Wednesday. And right before that, you had the the opening gala kind of thing where all the women get dressed up. And this is something that WTA fans live for, right? There was that iconic photo from where, when was that? 2015? I don't know, 2014 maybe? I don't know, sometime around there where all the women are seated against a wall right beside each other in a different pose. Somebody's Mm -hmm. talking to somebody, somebody, Jeannie's just off there on her phone. It spurred a whole bunch of memes, right? But one of the things that I dislike about this photo op every year is that it gives folks the haters ammunition to just go after these women for how they look mm-hmm. it, it's really ugly it's one of the seediest things that happens on the women's tour for me every year the seediest yeah it's gross among it's, fans among fans it's gross to me like these are women like yeah okay igas friantek has a particular pair of flats that she likes to wear forgive her for being a young professional athlete who may not want to be wearing stilettos heading into one right. of the most important tournaments of the year. To their credit, a lot of them are just arrive and have to find something nice to wear. A lot of them might not even know that they're playing. Right. Do you think Anna exactly. Kantavate knew a few weeks ago that she'd have to go find a frock? A mod frock <laughs> to go and wear? And, um, but listen, if you're coming for Serena or Maria Sharapova who make a sizable chunk of change on being fashion mavens, and they wear something busted and janky and goofy, fine. But like these young Mm. women who are just here to have the time of their life celebrate their wondrous achievement of the year, of qualifying for this tournament at the end of the year, cut them some slack. Come on. I think I tweeted this earlier this week, and you were like, wow, you are so much better than us. (laughs) Well, you say that, but we're about to criticize the guys later in the episode, right? Yeah. So you can... No, I don't have anything critical to say. Oh, okay. Okay. About that, but I will not have you sit here and not acknowledge the power imbalance between the mm-hmm. two. Oh, It is course. not the same. Yeah. The expectations. I find that fans are nostalgic for a very specific time in WTA Finals history, and it's really basically whenever you came of age as a tennis fan. So... I mean, we're considerably older than a lot of tennis Twitter now, so I find a lot of them are nostalgic for like 2013, 14. So and for me, it's like, oh, okay. Uh, so you're that was saying, not that was just not a factor for me. So you're saying in a few years we'll have a bunch of current tweens reminiscing. Oh yeah, who are saying like this, this moment, is the golden age. That right dress now. Yes. that Paula Badosa wore shook. Oh yeah, like the tennis. Your faves could literally globe. could literally never. Yeah. Anyway, Guadalajara put together this tournament on short notice. We've got two players from Spain. One of those players is from Latin America. Garbine Muguruza is Venezuelan and Spanish, and she has received rapturous applause. She is the queen of Guadalajara this week. they love her. And she delivered by beating Annette Contivate, the first person to do that since... 2010 <laughs> to qualify for the semifinals where she'll play Ms. Badosa in an all Spanish semifinal. The first time that Spain has had two Spanish women in the semifinals of the WTA finals since 1993. And uh, going one further, the first time Spain has had any player in the semifinals of the WTA finals since Arancha Sanchez Vicario in 1993. Mm-hmm. And you'd think that Arancha would have made more. Right. Especially those 94, 5, and 6 seasons. But uh, indoor hardcourt, as varied as her success was, was not her bag. Mm. Now, the outcome of that group was up in the air. Muguruza beating Contivate guaranteed her own berth into the semifinals. Plishkova still had an outside chance. Krejcikova went 0-3. 
And since being cussed out by Garby at the U.S. Open, she has gone two and five. This woman has power. Oh my God. Pliskova opened that tournament with a rousing three-set win against Muguruza. And then it just didn't it didn't work out. She mm-hmm. still won two matches. But all those three sets, they added up to a net deficit. A net. Get it? Oh my God. I didn't even <laughs> intend to do that. <laughs> So in uh, in group Teotihuacan, we've got Kantavite and Muguruza going through. Three women in that group had a two-in-one record. On the other side, we still don't know who's going through. Shriantek beat the group leader Badosa. Uh, Shriantek will not go through to the semifinals. But up next, we've got Sabalanka in Sakari, which will determine the second semifinalist on mm. that side. So there's one spot left up for grabs. Yes. In planning this episode, the timing of figuring out our schedules, I'm back to work full-time, you've been working full-time. You don't even know what day it is. I don't even know which days I'm going to (laughs) have off until like the Friday before. And with these tournaments starting at odd times, we just got to record. So apologies to these women that we won't be able to crown a WTA Finals champion on this episode, but we will get to it. Yeah. Let's rewind to last week in Stockholm. Yannick Sinner had like the outsidest of outside chances to qualify for the ATV finals. Lost early in Stockholm, so did not. We got a very exciting weekend, right? The possibility of a Francis Tiafo Felix Ogialiasim final. Mm-hmm. We didn't get either of those players in the final. It's fine. Is it? Those were the players we would prefer. I really feel it's not fine. It's no, it's not fine. I'm just trying to be fair. It sucks. Listen, we we state from the jump we are biased. Okay, <laughs> we've slugged through an right. entire season where our faves have not done what we hoped them to do. So, like, we get this little nugget potentially at the end of the season, and it's like, no, you cannot have nice things. Mm-hmm. Francis gets another three wins. Gets his ranking up to a cute 38. Mm-hmm. We're, we're in on the right track. He gets his 101st ATP win. And Felix got his 100th. Yeah. I, I saw this and I, I was thinking, why did I only exclusively see news about Felix's achievement? Yeah. I didn't... Francis like, got okay. his, also got his 100th and his 101st. I saw at the end of it that you know, congrats, Francis, for your 101st win. I'm like, okay, so who celebrated the 100th? Why Why did I miss that? Did they miss that? Mm-hmm. Why did I not hear that? This is also a great boon for Canadian tennis. Another Canadian player makes his top 10 debut in Felix Auger-Aliassime. Mm-hmm. And the person who beat him was Canadian. <laughs> right. His friend and now rival, his even rival at 3-3, three and three, Denis Shapovalov. But the winner of this tournament. The winner is American Tommy Paul, who's won his first ATP title. Let me tell you, if you end up in a draw with Andy Murray anytime soon, you should expect to go deep if you beat him. Because Tommy Paul beat him, won the tournament. Just this fall, Orkatch beat him and went on to win. Schwartzman beat him at the European Open, I believe, made the final. And then Kasper Ruud beat him in San Diego and went on to win that tournament. So while it's not a perfect equation, it's not a guarantee, You recent history tells us that if, if you get through an Andy Murray test, you're well set for the rest of the tournament. <laughs> you know, Tommy deserved this title. It was a really high-quality three-set final. Congrats to him. It just, I was disappointed. The enthusiasm that... in you saying this, it's just palpable. <sighs> but listen, I watched quite a few of those matches Tommy Paul played, as Ben Rothenberg would like to say, heckin' good tennis. Mm-hmm. This... I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah, he played good. <laughs> Who knew he could volley like that? I sure didn't. Did you? No. He hit this one volley against Francis, and I was like, excuse me? Next-gen finals came and went rather quickly. Mm-hmm. We got, you know, as happens every year in the next-gen finals. There are several players who qualify and do not play. This year, number one and number two 
Yannick and Felix qualified, and they both had a real fighting chance to qualify for the ATP finals as well. Mm-hmm. They did not play next gen. They said, I am very, very rich. <laughs> I do not need right? this tournament. The sinner said, I have won this before. I'm good, love, thanks. Number five, Jensen Brooksby also did not play. But of the people who did play, Carlos Alcaraz uh, announced himself further as the, the uh, next potential star. He's capitalized on his first title earlier this year, his run to the U.S. Open quarterfinals. Have you clicked on his name pronunciation on the ATP website? No. I have never Am heard anybody pronounce their name that quickly. Oh. <laughs> he literally says Carlos Alcaraz. Did you catch that? Yeah, I think so. Who were the previous winners of this tournament, and is it predictive of future success? Funny you should ask, because the answer is right here on the agenda. (laughs) I think it's written here, is winning this tournament a harbinger for bigger things to come? And I would say the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. In the inaugural event, Young Chung won. And followed up by making the Australian Open semifinals. Unfortunately, he's been riddled with injuries and hasn't been able to return to tour in quite a while. The runner-up was Andrei Rublev. We know his pedigree at this point. Tsitsipas won in 2018 and Yannick Sinner won in 2019, the last time this event was held. The next-gen finals have always been this experimental playground for for all these different format changes that uh, some of them have taken hold in tennis and some of them are just kind of let's let's throw this all out there and see what works and what doesn't. And I actually think this is a really good way to try out those innovations because they they don't all work, right? Not all of them are even innovations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's it's kind of a safe place to play in the sandbox. I'm not so much a purist that I, I don't think that we can experiment with formats and coaching and all these things. This year, they tried one-minute warm-ups instead of four minutes. Courtside coaching, which is not really an innovation because the WTA has done it before. Limiting the players to one medical timeout per match. And timing bathroom breaks to three minutes only. That feels pointed. You said courtside coaching, but isn't it true that at this tournament, they used to have the headsets? Yes. So, and I only remember that because Tsitsipas smashed his headset to smithereens. Mm-hmm. So they've had coaching here before. It's just a different version of it. Yes. And some earlier changes that have stuck around. Electronic line calling, which we have seen on the main tour as well. The uh, four game sets, no ad. Towel racks, which to me... Predated the pandemic. Yes. The towel racks, the best innovation next-gen finals ever made. And uh, shot clock and video review. So I don't think that these innovations are are threatening the main tour. Like, I don't think they're, you know, threatening to change the way we view tennis. I would not like to see no ad and shorter sets on the main tour. No. Do not want to see that. Sebastian Corder was the beaten finalist at this event. And after the match, he said that he hopes he can go a step further and make the ATP finals next year or something to that effect. And I saw a lot of people mocking him. And I'm like, like, well, first of all, the history of this tournament tells us that it's very possible. Right. I mean, and also, uh, should people not have goals and ambitions? (laughs) I don't understand. Should your goals be extremely moderate? Like, I would like to improve my ranking by one spot next year. Elsewhere in Linz, Alison Risk won the title. Somehow, she's managed to turn around a completely forgettable year and salvage it at this back end of the season. Yeah, she went on a six-match losing streak between 2020 and 2021. She really couldn't string together consecutive wins. And all of a sudden, she reached the final in Portoroz, Slovenia. And now she's the winner here in Linz, Austria. She beat Jacqueline Christian, who benefited from a walkover from Simona Halep in the semifinals. And if you are thinking it's strange 
that Simona Halep was playing a tournament adjacent to the WTA finals, then you'd be like me. Because that was that was jarring. Mm-hmm. Simona Halep not at the WTA finals. She's had a year completely wrecked by injuries. She came out after that event and said that her year even started on an even more dour note than we knew with a death in her family. And it took her months to really get over that or or grapple with that. And then she suffered the first of many injuries. And I want to talk to you now to take a moment to talk about Simona and the journey we've been on with her on this podcast. Because as I remind you and the listeners from time to time, as I see you have a very perplexed and annoyed Mm. look on your face. (laughs) Because I feel like we've talked about this many times at this point. Okay, it's worth repeating. We have new listeners all the time. Hell, maybe we have somebody listening for the first time since Pam Shriver shouted us out on air at the WTA finals. Mm-hmm. Right? You you need people need to Yeah, the to first know. and last time. We can't <laughs> we can't expect folks to go back and listen to all of our episodes, you know. Mm-hmm. Point being, you even though you like to deny it, you were a Simona Halep stan. No, or not wanted not a stan. To be. I wanted to. You identified Simona Halep somewhere around 2014, 2015 as a player that you're like, you know what? I'm going to, I could see myself on that train. And it was really only because of her French Open runner-up finish against Maria Sharapova. That was it? That was it, really. <laughs> that's all it that, took? That's all it takes. <laughs> but we, Okay, it's fine. You had that positive start, then you soured. Mm-hmm. Then there was a, a period of... It was a détente. There was a period, a period of respect. Like, yeah, listen, I'll, like, I'll call it détente. You've put in the hard yards. You are an impressive tennis player. Mm-hmm. We had a separate piece. Mm-hmm. And then there's the oh, the problematic tethering to the Tyriac train that yeah. mm-hmm. seems underailable at this point. Uh, I would say so. Uh huh. There is the equal pay comments that she made. <laughs> and to be fair, that was a while ago. Uh-huh. Um, Serena says she counts her as a friend. Mm-hmm. Or at least, you know, someone who texts her nice things every once in a while. She had the improbable result of beating Serena Williams in a Wimbledon final. Mm-hmm. I mean... I think this is what precipitated this little mini-segment I, for Obviously, me. I didn't like that, but there was... It was fair play. You, you know, there was nothing untoward involved she mm. just played better no this is not i'm not trying to like put this all on you this is for me as well okay you know i'm saying mm-hmm. i i read something this past week that referred to her as 2019 wimbledon champion mm-hmm. and i had to think about it for a second i'm like that really happened didn't it indeed it's been a wild ride with Simona Halep, <laughs> and then to see her playing in Linz at the end of the tournament and not at the wta finals it 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 just made me think about a lot of stuff. Mm. And then, and you also said to me, like, is this the end of Simona Halep this past week or something like that? Not necessarily the end, but is this kind of the decline? And I, I'll be happy to be proven wrong. Like, this season has been impacted by injury terribly. Do you want to tell them what I said in response to that? <laughs> something abusive and really mean, I'm oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Let's lean into mm. that tired narrative that i'm a bully to you i never said it people just observed and you enjoy it because you know it's not true oh i see um (laughs) i said this is the the nice version of it i said um her season has been wrecked by injury what are you talking Mm. about but uh, it's a reasonable question a player this age, at this stage of her career, is... because is, she just got married? No. Okay. Women, you know, can have relationships and families and still be excellent. I, that's a fact. Yes. I'm glad you recognize that. Mm-hmm. But at this stage, I don't know. Is this is this the time when a player starts to decline? Will she reach the top five again? I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But I was. I'm just getting the feeling... That it's less likely than likely. Hmm. You know? And I disagree. 
okay. simply because I still think she has the physical gifts. We haven't seen the motor slow down. She can still run down every ball. She's one of the few players when they say, oh, well, one of her strengths is her defensive skills and her speed. With Simona Halep, it's not just a strength, it's a weapon. Yes. And until that goes, if she's not able to recover properly physically, then we can have that conversation. Mm. But I don't think we're there at all. Okay. We are just all over the place on this episode. Yes. World Tour Finals. It's a pot pool. They're in Torino. Uh, they are walking around. And the guys, they are going to stand in front of stores. They, <laughs> they are going to wear bomber jackets. And they are going to stand in front of the coach store. Okay. People were like, where are the suits? Why aren't they wearing suits? And then they post pictures from back in the day where all the big three <laughs> were in suits. Like, this is this is the peak era. What are we doing? I don't I need mean, the suit. What is the peak era? The suits were always poorly fitted. Right? They were, they were sitting in some masterpiece theater, uh, fireside, sm- like, look like they should be smoking pipes or whatever. It was tacky. For me, it was very <laughs> tacky. And... These are giants. They're very rarely going to find a suit that fits them impeccably. And if, if even if it does, they may not look good in it. Mm-hmm. Like Yannick Sinner in a suit. I don't think he, he wasn't there this time. But can you imagine Yannick Sinner in a suit? Like, I don't think that's, that fits going to look know. that great. I don't know. So we got the casual version of this photo shoot. Mm-hmm. Call it the Riverdale version. <laughs> I had three main thoughts from this. These dudes are super duper tall. I had no idea Stefano Tsitsipas was that tall. Well, like, you know, in theory, right? Like, oh, okay, 6'5", or whatever. Novak, isn't Novak 6'3"? Novak's tall. We've seen him in person. 6'3 is tall. But he looks super short. Is he shrinking? No, these dudes are (laughs) behemoths. They're giants. Yes, they really are. And the other thought was that... Daniil Medvedev was serving Friday Night Lights realness. You said Riverdale, <laughs> but it conjured starting quarterback mm. Matt Saracen QB1? to me. Yeah. And, I, don't, I don't know if I go that far. I mean, how dare I compare him to mm. Matt Saracen? And the other one was that Matteo Bertini only needs to serve face, as it turns out. He served yeah. more than that because he looked cute in his little turtleneck. Not a fan of turtlenecks to begin with, but he made it work. His outfit was cute, and the face was popping in that photo shoot. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, he stood out from his colleagues. Mm-hmm. This past week, I asked on our BodyServe Twitter, what is one player tick or habit that annoys you irrationally to no end? And I said, we'll start the night train conductor bouncing the ball between his legs before serving. Mm-hmm. That's Denis Shapovalov. Otherwise known as Denis Shapovalov. Yes. I, okay. I think you probably don't like this because you feel it's affected. Like you feel it's inauthentic. Is that why? It just looks stupid to me. (laughs) I don't have any other, I said this is irrational. It's irrational. Yeah. When I see it, it bugs the hell out of me. Mm -hmm. So you asked this question. I actually don't really care. Like I don't, I don't have any strong opinions on this. About any player habits? Not really. There's none. No. And this is not to say, I mean, this is irrational, right? So I'm not judging anyone's replies because this is done with the understanding that I irrationally am annoyed by something. I will say, nobody is brave enough to say this. Nobody, but you are going to be the one. But our Venus catches her toss far too often. And <laughs> yes, Venus has also had her body betray her far too many times for it to be relied upon reliably to toss the ball in the right okay. position every time. Did you not pose the question? <laughs> you pose the question. You deal with the answers. You're right, though. It is it is really annoying. <laughs> it's super annoying. And again, this is I like I do like this question because it's not a, a commentary on these players personally. It's just a purely irrational fan reaction, right? The majority of the time when we dislike something, it's not rational. And it's also not that serious. This one dude was in the replies, replying to multiple people saying, 
why why don't you like this why like asking people to defend it and i'm glad but he had also provided his own mm-hmm. opinion but like, i'm glad this person responded and said did you miss the point where the question was posed as irrational like <laughs> what is going on here some of the responses Kanta's service motion was a popular Ooh, one that was damn near universal <laughs> it's a what is a good word for it i would say extravagant i'm doing the motion here as mm-hmm. i sit down it's i mean it's very measured it's it, it gives the impression of being whimsical but it feels mechanical mm-hmm. at the same time it's metronomic oh is that something that can help your back with when you're sitting at the desk at Excuse work me? no that's ergonomic metronomic metronome <laughs> is the thing that you put at the piano to keep a beat the tempo so you know i don't know music i'm toned up use your use your common sense here oh my use God. your freaking greek and latin roots who is bullying who now <laughs> did you ask me to use my greek and latin okay <laughs> i was schooled in the caribbean thank you so i learned english uh-huh. i can speak quite a bit of spanish and know, a few words in french i know you guys learned the classics too so we certainly did not <laughs> anyway I'm glad that Layla Fernand- <laughs> Fernandez kind of worked out or abbreviated her ball bouncing stuff because that was driving me nuts. Yeah, so she was not targeted in no, the replies it here. It started with the ball with the racket, boop, 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 mm-hmm. and then the hand, and it was just, it was a no-go for me yes, for a while. When it goes back and forth, the people of tennis Twitter are annoyed. Sophia Kennan was a popular choice for a few different reasons. Mm-hmm. You'll you'll know that she has a very idiosyncratic demeanor. Yes. The no-look toss. I give her a pass for this because how many people could do this? <laughs> it's one thing if you're doing something that's really annoying that anybody could do, but she's doing something that probably literally nobody could do as well as she can in the world. Mm-hmm. So let her have it. Someone said Kenan stomping around, which made me laugh because Kenan stomping around is one of my favorite things about her. I find it hilarious. <laughs> the Djokovic and Chilich ball bouncing. The unpredictable nature of the ball bouncing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chilich's bothers me more because it's more pronounced. Mm. It feels more aggressive. It's louder. <laughs> oh, uh, sure, sure. Uh, that guy lifting up his shirt and exposing his midriff constantly. Mm-hmm. I I honestly thought I was alone in this for a long time. But damn. It it literally makes me want to throw up. Turns the stomach. And this was before all the allegations. This is, it's just. Put it away. Ugh. It's, <laughs> oh my God. It's disgusting. Okay, so Gabe said, quote, Krejcikova nonchalant walk after long between sets break, unquote, which felt very pointed, Mm -hmm. uh, made me cackle out loud. This is my version of that is Tsitsipas. Take your bathroom break (laughs) if you want, I guess. It's allowed. But show some urgency when you come back. Mm -hmm. Uh, I will. I, I should mentioned that i believe krejcikova has really paid for that nonchalant walk since the u.s open because garbine inflicted the curse mm-hmm. well it's not just that it's she has a a history of perceived gamesmanship yes outside yes. of just that there's a lot to look for in her play and game in 2022 rafa nadal the, this question could not be posed without this response right? coming. The extensive pre-serve ritual and the the digging in the underwear. It's it's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> totally understand why people would find this annoying mm. or even gross. For a while, the defense was, well, if you had an ass like that, like, wouldn't your underwear be swallowed up as well? <laughs> We don't see Francis Tiafo doing that. So we know that there is evidence to the contrary. Mm. So at this point, switch brands, boo. I I think what is remarkable is how this has become part of the commentator lexicon. That they speak so openly about a player's ass. Picking at his ass. Right. 
A wedgie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently players hold the towel between their teeth. This has escaped me. No, no, people do that. Yeah. I couldn't tell you who, but people do it. Again, disgusting. Mm -hmm. It seems like a common theme is disgust. Like things that actually repulse like people. Like unhygienic? It's not just annoying, but unhygienic and disgusting. Mm. I feel like it's fine if the players are the only person to handle their towel. Less unhygienic? Sure. Mm-hmm. It's not disrespectful in that case. Why would it be disrespectful? Well, because when you like excrete on a towel and then hand it to your little servant, okay. that's gotcha, disrespectful. Gotcha. But if okay. you're the only one to touch it, then it's mm-hmm. less but again, these are these are irrational, so I'm not going to mm-hmm. pass judgment on. And the final one we'll mention is the Sitsipas return ritual. I think he does like a little do-si-do kind of... Uh, a one-two step to, yeah. in a square, back and forth, rock the boat, rock the boat, work the middle, work the middle, <laughs> change positions, new position. <laughs> wow. Um, so to wrap up... This is not a a cancellation or a judgment because I know, you know, some people are sensitive about their faves. Mm -hmm. This was just a lighthearted question about player rituals. Yes. Before we get into our taste test to end the episode, a pre-celebration of sorts for us. We will 100% reach 500,000 downloads with the release of this episode. We will. We will. I do not count my chickens before they hatch as a rule. These chickens are at the ready. They're right. cracking as we speak. And I'm just happy about that. That's all. Yeah, it it feels like a real milestone for us. Mm-hmm. So get ready for some ASMR. Are you into it? Like the... Okay, so our listener, Caitlin, sent us these this candy called Chicken Bones. She's from New Brunswick. If you don't know... New Brunswick is one of Canada's 10 provinces. Mm -hmm. It is an Atlantic province, or the Maritimes, if you will. And I guess these chicken bones are a popular holiday treat, and they are very polarizing for New Brunswickians. I'm going to describe the packaging. Okay. My first thought, and as I sat here looking at the bag while we were recording, I understood that it was by design. My first thought was that they looked like dog treats. Okay. It's chicken bones. Oh. Right, that's the name oh, of that's it. Oh, you and think it's by design? Yeah. Like the packaging and the name, it looks like a dog treat, right? Okay. I think there's, and again, this is us being completely unaware, uneducated about this candy. We're just speaking off the cuff. I think that that's part of the kitsch of it. You know, the, the appeal oh, okay. of it. It's kind of a novelty packaging. Okay. So Caitlin said that she would send us these treats if we did a taste test live on air. Mm -hmm. It's made by Ganong. These are the originals. It says Chicken Bones, the original. Maybe there are other versions. (laughs) Like the dollar store version? It's handcrafted in Canada since 1885. Okay, you don't need to read the whole package. It's a spicy cinnamon flavored candy with unsweetened chocolate. Okay, so we've just opened it. We have not tried this thing yet. So here we go. What, 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 what does it look like? You just like plopped it right it's in your mouth. Taste, it's a taste test. It's not an aesthetic test. It, <laughs> it's got a... Oh my. It's got a silky pink coating. It's very silky. Oh, it's hard. Yeah, so it's a bite. Oh my God. I didn't know if it was soft or not. Wow. Some people do not care for their teeth. I thought it was a soft chew. <laughs> it is not a soft chew. So... What's inside? Because it's going to take me a while to get through this. Oh, now you want to benefit from my <laughs> cracking it. All right. So it's very cinnamony. It tastes like Big Red. You remember mm-hmm. Big Red gum? I can't say I'm If you're not... just sucking on it without cracking into it, you'll get strictly mm-hmm. cinnamon to start. How many licks does it take to the, get to the center of a... Oh, oh. <laughs> Chicken bone. Mm. After a few licks, it becomes softer. Then you can crunch it, and then you'll get the chocolate on the inside. Okay. My teeth are very fragile. I'm not going to crunch it. I feel like you're failing at this. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think there are rules to this. <laughs> uh, I can't say that I'm the biggest fan of cinnamon candy. Mm-hmm. It's just not it's not my favorite thing. What? Nobody wants to hear that. I mean, maybe some people do, but... How else are you going to get the chocolate? Okay, so this thing, it's about an inch long, and it's like this 
shiny, silky, cinnamon hard candy on the outside. Very pink. Yes, very pink. And on the inside, there's chocolate. Mm -hmm. Have you gotten to the chocolate yet? I'm done, boo. Oh, how was the chocolate? Tasted like chocolate. And you got two very distinct (laughs) flavors there. The cinnamon to start, and then the chocolate comes in. Got a mix of both, and then you got a bit of big red aftertaste at the end. So did you like it? I didn't love it. (laughs) (laughs) I liked it. Mm. And I definitely didn't hate it. Am I mad at it? No. Okay. Just by looking at it, I was very skeptical. But it it exceeded my expectations. Mm. I feel I can always rely on you for an honest assessment of basically anything. Like, to a fault. Um, so what are you saying? <laughs> that that's your honest opinion. Okay. And what is your honest opinion? You still haven't gone to the chocolate. I'm not a fan. Bite it. I, no, no I, you I can't have, bite it. You have to do it. It's biteable now. You've oh. had it for a long time. You're looking at the inside of it. I don't know. I, I don't like that. What is the cross section of it looked like the candy? Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't like see. I didn't like seeing the inside. I'm going to be honest. I hope you don't edit. Well, I'm going to edit this part of the episode <laughs> and it's going to stay. And I hope that was audible. And if it's not, I'm going to make sure it's amplified so folks can hear that. No, actually, it does. It does not taste bad. Mm-hmm. I just didn't really like what I saw. The caveat here is that with both of our palates, I am much more amenable to trying anything. You, on the other hand. Uh, I ha- yep, Fair. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of things that I don't like. You know those things that go around and say, here's 50 foods. How many of them have you tried? And I'll be routinely like 38 to 42 and you'll be at like 15. No, that's not fair. (laughs) No, I've tried basically anything that's come across my my plate. I Mm -hmm. will try. Doesn't mean I'm going to like it. And you know what? The very first time I cooked for you when we're in college, I made a stewed beef dinner that had a bunch of cooked down bell peppers in there. Mm-hmm. And you ate those. You ate every last one of them. Yeah. And you have subsequently never done that in your no. life. I lied the whole time. <laughs> Through my teeth, I you're, choked down those peppers you're to like, be polite. Mm, that was so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hate peppers. Thank you for listening. This was episode 245. I'm Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. Thank you to Caitlin for sending us this treat. It appears that I will be having the rest of the bag. Well, uh, there will definitely be family members who like this stuff. Okay. Don't you think? Probably. Oh, yeah. Look out for the impending GoFundMe launch. This was our soft launch. It'll be up in the next couple days, if not before that. We thank you in advance for supporting us. You can also get some TBS merch if you like on redbubble.com. All of our social media, all our links, everything you can do to contact us, you can get at through linktree.com slash thebodyserve. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.